Hello and welcome to Hear Her Voice, a podcast celebrating the incredible range of artistry and talent of women in music. I'm Laura Whitmore and across the series I'm chatting to some very special guests as we enjoy the songs, albums and lyrics from some of the most iconic women in music through the decades and we have some great women. This episode's theme is sisterhood and the music that celebrates the special bonds that women have. Sisters are doing it for themselves, standing on their own two feet and ringing on their own bells. That's what Annie Lennox sang in her empowering anthem about women standing up for themselves and each other. And today, my guests and I are celebrating some of our favourite songs about female friendships and women supporting each other, as well as taking a temperature check on how the sisterhood is doing at the moment. Don't forget, you can hear all our featured sisterhood tracks and more at the Hear Her Voice Sisterhood playlist on Spotify. So for this episode, I had a very honest chat with Nicola Roberts, who is as part of the girl group Girls Aloud, ruled the world with her bandmates. And being in a girl group, especially experiencing some of those things that no one else will understand, Nicola tells me that they were closer than blood sisters, especially when on tour. Our tours were our most special moments because we all love being on the road and we love putting our own show on. Putting your own two-hour show on is very different to just going and doing like a three-minute performance on a TV. You've got your dancers with you, you've got your band that you've picked. You have your fans in the audience. You have your fans, you're flying in from the ceiling, you know, you're being shot out of the stage. <laughs> That's not a metaphor, you are being no, flown in You literally are flying in from the ceiling. Just so fun and I think when you're able to put your own stage show on, there's just the sky's the limit. But before we get into that chat, I'm delighted to welcome a writer and comedian who's appeared regularly on numerous TV panel and quiz shows, including Have I Got News For You, Mock The Week, Nevermind The Buzzcocks, QI and so much more. But a career high, I have to say, would be when she gained a record-breaking score of 35 on Celebrity Mastermind, with her specialist subject being Steve Martin absolutely love that she co-hosts the podcast fingers on buzzers and is touring with the stand-up show be prepared it's of course the very funny super smart charismatic music loving lucy porter i spoke to lucy about growing up to the sound of the 80s what a time we shared our two fabulous featured sisterhood tracks plus i think i think folks i have won her over to the awesome power of the spice girls girl power enjoy Lucy Porter, welcome. How are you? Oh, delighted to see you and thrilled to be talking about music. Like most comedians, I think, I really wanted to be a pop star. But just... I, so comedians <laughs> want to be pop stars. Pop stars want to be comedians. Actors want to be rock stars. I feel like nobody wants to be what they're actually doing. No, I know. Well, that's it. The grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, no, I think, I mean, come on. If you could be anything, you'd be a pop star, right? Because comedians, the thing that attracted me to comedy was you can express yourself and you can sort of get your opinions and your views out there yeah. and get a bit of attention. Um, but you're not as cool as somebody who can do that whilst playing an instrument as well. Yeah, although I think comedians, I'm married to one, I think comedians can be quite cool. <laughs> well, you've got to say I'm, that. I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Why did you get into comedy? Who was your inspiration? Who were who you watching? Because you'll be a role model for so many women who wanted to get into comedy, but it's hard when you don't see many people doing what you're doing who are female. 
Yeah, well, you sort of think, God, how amazing must the women have who succeeded have been? Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was people for me like Victoria Wood mm-hmm. and Joe Brand mm-hmm. and Jenny Eclair. And I am delighted to say that all of those people were incredibly lovely and supportive when I met them when I was starting out doing comedy. And there is, I think, you know, because comedy can be quite competitive, as you know, mm-hmm. and sort of there's a lot of egos and stuff. All the women I've encountered have always been incredibly encouraging and kind. Mm-hmm. I think you need a little bit of that, don't you, when you're starting out somebody just, just to say the sisterhood and we are here talking about sisterhood today and in the music industry what type of music were you listening to who are your inspirations when it comes to music well do you know a huge huge influence for me as a kid was Bananarama and I absolutely worship and adore them to this day so my kind of musical coming of age was sort of around the early 80s and Bananarama were just so cool Mm. and so they were a little bit punky Mm -hmm. but they were sort of pop enough to be accessible Mm -hmm. they looked like your sort of really cool big sister Mm -hmm. they didn't like they weren't really glam like to me female pop stars always had to be sort of sexy or glam and they were just sort of they wore dungarees and they had like really messy hair and I loved the whole look of them and their songs were really interesting Cruel Summer I think is an amazing you know it's a really quite edgy pop Mm -hmm. song and incredibly Robert De Niro's Waiting which was a huge hit and I was probably like only about 11 or 12 at the time and was reading in Smash Hits, oh, this is a song about violence against women. This is about a sexual assault. The, mm-hmm. the lyrics w- were way more sort of deep and interesting than people gave them credit for. Sometimes looking back at lyrics, sometimes when you, you tune that kind of melody and a kind of catchy song and then you look back at the actual meaning behind it and why it was written. The, a lot of the time you look back at the things women were singing yeah, and you go, God, they were really talking about their own experience and they were doing something interesting, but uh, they can sort of get written off a little bit, I think, more easily than if men were slinging lyrics like that it'd be like oh god they're so profound well you know look at Kate Bush for years Kate Bush was sort of considered a bit of a novelty pop act really I think and definitely not novelty no, no way. Definitely She's not novelty. Um, I want to talk about some songs from our Hear Her Voice playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, and one song of which I think really reflects the positive self-image that um, she gained from the feminist movement, uh, Helen Reddy and I Am Woman. Hear me raw! We're going to go back to 1972. Have a listen. I am woman, I'm invincible, I am strong, I am woman! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) We've just ripped all our clothes off. We're here naked and furious in the studio. And especially taking back the context of this in the 70s as well. Yeah. Which is huge, a real cultural impact, especially, I think, in in the States. Yes. Where this came out. Uh, Talk to me about when you first heard this song. So, yeah, I was a a little too young to hear this when it came out, but my mum was a little bit of a feminist, Mm -hmm. and so we used to hear this in the house sometimes, and I have always loved it. I actually... 
put it on my running playlist today and was weeping in the streets of <laughs> the, oh, streets of the suburbs. Just because I think Helen Reddy said when she wrote this, she had to write it because she wanted to, like she normally recorded other people's music, mm-hmm. but she was like, I really wanted a song that, that reflected how much I felt the feminist movement was achieving and how great it made me feel. And she couldn't find one. So she was like, well, I better write it myself. And it is quite on the nose. I mean, it is like a real just aren't women brilliant aren't we amazing and uh, so for that reason I think I found it a bit cringe when I first heard it I think I was like oh god oh, I'm yeah, yeah. Wrong. but I absolutely love it now and it makes me weep and things like oh yes I am wise but it's wisdom born of pain yes I've paid the price but look how much I gained it's funny that you say you first you know, when you first heard it you thought it was a bit cringe because the, 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 the lyrics in some way they seem basic but in other ways they have this layer upon layer of meaning behind it. And, and that's kind of what an anthem should be, isn't it? I mean, an anthem be. shouldn't be subtle. An anthem should be bold. Well, if you want to get it to resonate with so many people, you've got to get straight to the mm-hmm. point and make it clear. But what's really interesting is at the time when when Helen wrote this and her then husband, uh, Jeff Wald, uh, met with the executives to discuss the song, there was a huge pushback from Capitol Records about this. And they oh. thought, this is going to end her career. Wow. And actually, the quote was... It was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention words, it's, it's, it's going to kill her. At the time, it's like, there's a space for one feminist song on the radio. Yeah. So let's not do overkill on it. Yeah. And and now when you think of what that song means years afterwards, 50 years or something. Oh, no, um, <laughs> and what it, what it still represents, that song had to be fought yeah. to be put out there. I know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? That actually everybody hated it and it just shows how important it is to stick with what you believe in and to... Yeah, just don't compromise. And she didn't compromise. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank goodness she didn't because she gave me a little cry this morning. For that alone. Um, It did reach number one, but it took a year of climbing the charts. And and the music industry today, I think when songs are released, you normally expect it to get to number one straight away. You know, it's it's the first week. It's like, it's out there. You do all the promo, it's out. Well, this built momentum. This is a song. And it's very different to how songs are released today to Mm -hmm. actually have that year of seeing it build momentum. And then the following year, I think in 73, it won the Grammy. Yeah. I mean, what a lovely sort of slow burn story. And it would have been, like, you know, thinking about my mum. Yeah. So she would have been played it by a friend of hers. Who, and it was, you know, it was quite a big thing to say you were a feminist then. Mm. Even when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, oh, feminist, oh, you know. So to my mum in the 70s, it was like, you know, not really the done thing for a normal woman from Coventry to say she was a feminist. And I think so that's how it spread was women going, look, listen to this record. It might speak to you or whatever. And that's a sort of lovely image isn't it just all these women secretly s- slipping it into the sleeve of a Des O'Connor record or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it actually do you know what I for me I listen to music for my mood and I put things on as interesting you did it for, for your run I'm going to put it on my playlist I think that's a great song oh well I tell you what motivational if you saw me run you would not think <laughs> looking at me that I was listening to I am woman hear me roar I, I am woman hear me puff because <laughs> <laughs> this is in the 70s this is, you know this kind of you, you said the song was something that your mom listened to and then it kind of eventually fed down to you. For for you, what what were you listening to? Do you mean like the most important things most important in my kind of, life? Yeah, most important music for you. Well, 
Well, in terms of it, the sisterhood has always been really yeah. important to me yeah. in that I have, partly because when I listen to music, because I am a slight egotistical fantasist, I always imagine that I am performing that music. So doesn't everybody. I hope that everybody yeah. does. Hairbrush Certainly in the mirror. For listening. And so I've always been attracted to music by women and about women and about women's experiences. So I guess, I mean, I've alluded to Kate Bush already. Yeah. But Kate Bush, as anyone who's seen the Wuthering Heights video will know, was an incredible dancer Mm -hmm. and sort of self-taught, self-choreographed. And my friends and I felt that we could emulate that. So we used to do... I I do have a dance routine to Babushka, which uh, (gasps) maybe is uh, extra material for the podcast. I'll do that. Yeah, maybe we can do like an extra visual, like... (laughs) Hit YouTube and yeah, don't worry. Lucy dance. I'll gift that for you. We can do it on TikTok. Uh, there you days. go. We can do a TikTok of that. And I suppose because we used to do mixtapes for each other, this was the something so personal. It was such a thoughtful gift because it yeah. took time and effort. Yeah, and definitely. Uh, so my friend Tracy and I, we did actually try and form a band. We were called the Woebegone Spangles. Yes, and uh, okay. we never really made it outside of my bedroom. Okay, but you know the the intention was there, and we were listening. I suppose at that time there were. Loads of female bands that sadly you will not have heard of now because they kind of fell by the wayside. Well, so. well the bands like the Bananaramas had to, I feel, work extra hard to 100%. make it. Well, I got very into indie music mm-hmm. and there weren't really any unusual indie bands. So there was a band called We've Got a Fuzzbox and We're Going to Use It, or Fuzzbox, as they later became. And they had one hit, which was called International Rescue. But they were sort of quite a indie, punky, sort of alternative-y outfit. And there were uh, Strawberry Switchblade, who were these two Scottish girls who... There was very much a sort of DIY aesthetic yeah. in the 80s. But you know, it meant achievable for fans. Totally. Well, like, even Madonna. So Madonna was absolutely huge. You can't really talk about being a music fan in the 80s without referencing Madonna in some way. Mm-hmm. And she did for lacy gloves and ripped tights and layered, you know, weird things layered with each other more than anyone else in the history of time. So everything felt a little bit punk. It all felt like women are sort of expressing themselves in ways that they never have before and they're finding their own bands. And then when I got seriously into indie music, there were people like Throwing Muses, who Mm -hmm. were an incredible inspiration. And then um, Hole, Courtney Love. Oh my gosh, I went to see Hole in Brighton and she... Was uh, just resplendent, uh, incandescent, in extraordinary stage presence, mm. and uh, quite disturbingly though, she jumped off the. She sort of stage dived, but and all these men were kind of trying to touch her, and it was all that kind of was a bit disturbing. But me and my friend were in the toilets afterwards, and she came in, obviously absolutely hammered after the gig, and just looked at me and my mate and went, "You should form a band." And we were like, "Yes, we should." And then, and then you formed a band. So Corey Love told you to. <laughs> yes. The next track that we're going to talk about from our playlist is a Spice Girls song. And it actually gives us two in one because it's a cover of Annie Lennox and Aretha Franklin's Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves from 1980. It was covered by the Spice Girls in 1998 and you can listen to it on our Hear Her Voice Sisterhood playlist on Spotify. I feel like it gives us a multitude of things we can talk about, Lucy. First of all, the song, the original song, the the meaning behind it, the lyrics, iconic. Yes, and Annie Lennox, again, one of the great unsung heroes of British pop music Mm -hmm. and has had an unbelievable career and has always looked unlike any other pop star. Like her incredible sort of androgynous, Mm. strong, powerful look was so inspiring in the 80s and she has continued to be magnificent. And... 
you know, and has always described herself as a feminist as well, always had that sort of actually... I will talk about the fact that the music industry is sexist and I will talk about the struggles that I've faced mm-hmm. and has never shied away from it. So I huge respect for that. And, of course, Aretha Franklin, just absolute icon and goddess mm-hmm. and the voice that I wish in my shower, that's the voice I have. <laughs> that's, it, that's who I think I have and yeah. I sing as well. Something weird awesome. happens when I step out of the shower. <laughs> Obviously, there's a magic in the shower that makes me uh, Aretha Franklin. I'm going to just read some lyrics. Mothers daughters and their daughters too woman to woman we're singing with you it's not even to you it's with you Mm -hmm. and I think this song really represents the sisterhood because it's a song women to women isn't it yeah, and I do remember there being a bit of pushback on this of men going, oh, yeah, doing it for yourselves. Well, good luck without the things we invented, you know. And uh, there was, you know, it, it was quite radical at the time. And you look back and you, you sort of, all of these things that at the time were quite shocking. You go, well, how could anybody, you know, we got doctors, lawyers, politicians too. I mean, that shouldn't be contentious, but I think, you know, Annie Lennox had observed that there weren't many female politicians. And again, I look back and I I remember I used to be able to count on the fingers of one hand all the female politicians I've heard of, whereas now... Thankfully, <laughs> I've grown more ignorant yeah. and women have grown more powerful. And now there's hundreds of female politicians I can't name because I can't remember them. There's something lovely about the, the Spice Girls singing this song about the women who came before them. Because yeah. you know, the Spice Girls, I guess, for the pop industry and the girl power was a big thing for little girls. But for them to come through, we had to have Aretha, we had to have Annie. And it's, I think there's something kind of lovely in that circular motion of it all. Oh, always paying tribute to the ones who paved the way for you. So we've chosen the Spice Girls as our featured artist today and I'd love to go a little deeper on this famous five with our resident music expert Laura Snapes. Laura is in the house. Over to you, Laura. (laughs) Thanks, Laura. So for anyone who doubts whether the Spice Girls sisterhood was real or manufactured, may I direct the court towards Exhibit A, a recently unearthed video that shows the band behind the scenes on an ad for the Polaroid Spice Cam. Yes, here they are, selling something, a camera that my parents would not let me have, not that I'm still bitter about it or anything, but they also know exactly what message they intend on selling. For some baffling reason, the band addressed as schoolgirls for this ad. I don't know, as they say in all my favourite movies of the period, it's the 90s, get used to it. The art director and the copywriter, who are both male in case you were wondering, suggest that maybe the girls might want to show a bit more cleavage, a bit more midriff... And it's at this point that Mel B and Jerry round on them like wild dogs. Jerry calls one of them a chauvinistic pig and tells him he should know better. Mel B quite accurately points out that you don't usually show off your cleavage at school. Jerry, who is now in full flow, says, Have you not heard of Less Is More anyway? And then Mel B falls about laughing because she knows Jerry inside out and she knows full well that nothing about Ginger Spice conforms to the idea of Less Is More. It is exactly this sort of joyful intimacy that millions of fans, like me, fell in love with in the mid-90s. To come back to some of the sniffiness that still surrounds the band, yes, they were put together by a father-son management team in the early 90s. But these poor gentlemen were ill-equipped for the pop Frankenstein's monster they had assembled, one that very quickly overpowered them and kicked them to the curb. The Spice Girls became frustrated that their ideas weren't being listened to, so they stole their master tapes and did a runner. They also knew the producer they were meant to work with lived in Sheffield, but they didn't know where without their manager's address book. So they drove up north and dug through a local phone book until they found their man. But even once their songs started coming together, doors were still slammed in their faces. 
It was the era of boy bands, of new kids on the block and take that, and the record industry just did not believe that anybody would be interested in a girl band. But once label executives encountered the Spice Girls' charisma, their already unbreakable bond, the way they would carry around a boombox and dance on their desks, they could not say no, and this phenomenon of true friendship and sisterhood was finally let loose on the nation. From their debut single Wannabe, they set out their end of the bargain. If you want to be my lover, you've got to get with my friends. And the world said, yeah, okay. Wannabe topped the charts in 22 countries, and it's still the world's best-selling single by a girl group. From day one, they made it clear that no relationship came close to the respect and intimacy they got from their fellow Spice Girls. Good friends are the people who love us for being us, and because of that, they give us a form of self-respect. And you can hear that idea in songs like Stop, where the band tells some dithering lover to stop wasting their time and give them what they deserve. Take it or leave it, they sing, because we've always got each other. Shall I make my confession about the Spice Girls, Laura? Now, I've heard this already, um, but you're bringing it up, so go for it. I hated the Spice Girls with absolute passion. Why? And I can I just say, though, I have revised my opinion now, and it's yeah. because I was in my full-on wanker phase. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very much into... I was into alternative and independent music, Laura. Mm, of course Didn't you like were. Cool. And uh, so that was part of it. And also, I felt they were doing feminism wrong. And this sort of ties into what we've been talking yeah. about already, which was yeah. I was like, well, you know, because they, they wouldn't say they were feminists. That was a big thing. They were yeah. like, well, no, we, girl power is like our new brand of feminism. Yeah. And it, the irony is not lost on me that obviously I was there going, oh, they're doing feminism wrong. I hate them. Yeah. And I thought by slagging off what other women are doing, I'm being a really good feminist. And yeah. I look back I and I'm know. like, no, I was doing feminism we've wrong. All done, we've all done it at some stage. Yeah. yeah. So um, and I just took against them very strongly. And uh, I mean, in some ways, I think it, it was manufactured pop and there was the artifice of hey we're all really great mates we love hanging out with each other and I was like well no you've just been picked yeah to be in a band together 25 years since they came on the scene and they still feel so relevant and current mm. well they're still all doing amazing stuff as well which is yeah. very inspiring isn't it they're all still like, they're famous and they're all successful and they're all happy which is all we can really hope for and for a band they are the ultimate manufactured band there is an authenticity there yeah, I see that now. I didn't at the time. <laughs> but they, yeah, they clearly believe in what they're singing. Yeah. And some of them, are, like Mama, I thought at the time, I was like, this is the Mama, biggest piece of schlock. I hate this. Yeah. But it's actually really sweet, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny. I, yeah, I, at the time, that was like the cheesy one. So I love the Spice Girls. Mm. I remembered Smash Hits, when Smash Hits magazine came out and they had the scratch and sniff. So each one, if you scratched <laughs> their face, they'd smell like a different spice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's good. Yeah. It was like horrific actually having that stuck on my wall, my poor mother. <laughs> what it proves is that if you put women who are ambitious and funny and talented out there, then they will succeed. I mean, and I have completely revised my opinion now because I think, yeah, they were great. It was brilliant pop. They paved the way. Like you say, like little girls watched that and went, I can be a pop star. I think that's what worked. I could be. I think that's what worked with the Spice Girls in that I felt they were relatable. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, there needed to be a pop group where it was like, you don't have to wear pretty dresses, but you can if you want. You yeah, can be Mel C and want. you can be sporty and you can be this. So I do, yeah, in hindsight, I was wrong and mm-hmm. I accept that and I apologise. Uh, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me on Hear Her Voice. It's been a pleasure. Here's to all the sisters out there. So my next guest, Nicola Roberts, I've known for a long time now. Uh, when she was just 17, she and her fellow girl band members were catapulted, and that's really the only word I can use, uh, to superstardom when they won the reality show Pop Stars The Rivals. The group, Girls Aloud, went on to release lots of successful albums, including Sound of the Underground in 2003, peaked at number two, was certified platinum, huge success. Since the band split in 2013, Nicola has gone on to pursue her solo career. Her album, Cinderella Eyes, drew inspiration from her time in the group that was released back in 2011. But of course, since then, she's won the Mass Singer and is a hugely successful songwriter. No one knows the importance and much needed role of sisterhood than Nicola. Those bonds are vital, especially when you're in a girl band, especially when you're on tour, especially when the whole world is judging you. I met Nicola the day after what was Sarah Harding's 40th birthday. And obviously, Sarah, being a fellow member in Girls Aloud, they shared a very special bond. Sarah tragically lost her battle to cancer in September 2021. And it was an emotional day for for all of us uh, during this record but also a time to reflect on the bond that she had with her bandmates. And now with the girls in the band as they confide and go through a very, very difficult time together. During this chat, we talk about lots of things. Uh, we look back at the days in Girls Aloud and we share some very honest thoughts on the sisterhood. And of course, we talk about the music. Like a warrior that fights. Nicola Roberts, welcome to Hear Her Voice. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you, my love? Good, thank you. I'm happy to talk to you today. I I know you for a long time. We're friends. But we're here today to celebrate women in music and female artistry. And I want to ask you, what are your first memories of enjoying music growing up or seeing a woman do something that made you think, I want to be in that space? I think my first real female crush on a female artist music musically was Alanis Morissette my, Jagged Little Pill yes, album <sighs> my dad would play that album in the car over and over again and I'd be like put it on put it on for the 50th time he's like just could not get enough of mm-hmm. the lyrics of her attitude I mean I must have been like 10 or something I mm-hmm. can't remember it's my like mid 90s wasn't it yeah, yeah actual age but and I don't even know if I really understood what she was saying. There's some things I definitely didn't understand. Yeah, but the energy she gave off yeah. was so unapologetic. And the lyrical content was just so intelligent and so descriptive of life, real storytelling. Not just your commercial stuff on the radio, you know, she had things to say. And I think she definitely was my first my first female icon when it came to... Came to 
songwriting I guess not so much the voice like that was very much like Whitney for me but in terms of songwriting and song structure it was Alanis. You will be huge inspiration for so many women. I know you've had girls say this to you before. As girls allowed as an individual still being here and still working and and having your voice here. For you growing up it must have been surreal because you know you just bands you would have watched like the Spice Girls yeah. growing up and then you're in this television show and then one of your mentors is Jerry Halliwell like that must have been a surreal situation well I wrote a letter to Jerry when I was like 11 did you yeah I um put the blonde bits in the front of my hair <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a letter because I used to sing say so you'll be there at all the talent competitions mm-hmm. and I wrote a letter to say hi Jerry I'm such a big fan I really would love to be in the music industry. I'm a really good singer. I sing Say You'll Be There all the time and I win all the competitions. Please, if you could listen to my tape and <laughs> pass it on to somebody that could help me. Mm. And I don't know where we sent the letter off. Maybe my parents didn't even send it. I don't know, but I wrote the letter. Yeah. And then um, for Jerry to be so supportive of me and so encouraging and really championing me throughout Pop Source Arrivals was just... One of those moments where you're just like the universe is what is this what is happening right now mm-hmm. I mean how you can't write that people will know how you got into the music industry publicly with girls allowed coming from a competition first of all I can't because the word competition itself is compete against each other and literally there was so little space there was five spaces so you it was a competition yeah so so you kind of came into it th- through that way our experience was to compete against each other right from the get-go mm-hmm once we became the group, all of that competitiveness could fall away. But initially for the first 10 weeks, well, even during the audition process, really, it was how do you be above the the rest, which is really unhealthy going into a group where, you know, it's you against the world. I think it's so important to really have that foundation of solidarity from the get-go mm-hmm. because otherwise it just, it's impossible. And you were so young then. And and I feel like now hindsight is great when you experience things, when you experience going through things, you, you kind of know yourself when you're at a certain age where you're kind of, like you're kind of being told who you are in the band. This yeah. is, this is who you play young. on the band. You're too young. Like I was... I just turned 17. I didn't, I had no emotional awareness. I had no real emotional intelligence. There was no guidance. And you're just figuring out how you feel and your emotions, as well as other people's emotions and actions. And trying to process all of that, as well as being in this new situation of a group in front of the nation as a teenager. Being judged. Being judged, but... I always, I think, I wish that we'd had like a strong female, older manager from day one, Mm -hmm. just to be that older, wiser woman full of wisdom to say, it's okay, we're going to process this and work through this. And this is how we get to the other side and through it. We didn't have any of that. There's a maturity that you kind of have to get. There's an experience for you to get to that point, which is very hard when you're 17 in a house on telly. But you're so, you're so emotionally unexperienced Mm -hmm. like at 17 maybe that's the first time you've ever felt that emotion Mm -hmm. who's going to help me with this I don't know how to process this I don't even know what this looks like Mm -hmm. do you think if pop stars the rivals was on now do you think your experience would be different has there been much change or do you think just the whole dynamic of what it was would still lead to the same kind of feelings I think that we are 
I mean, I say this, but are we? I was just mm. about to say, you know, I think that maybe we're less judgmental or maybe we're kinder, but I don't know if we are. I guess like it's gone from print to social media. Yeah. I think there's more of an awareness maybe. Yeah. We're, we're talking about it. So maybe that's the positive that we can speak up about it because before we didn't really say, we kind of just dealt with it internally. Well, I think before it was, there was almost a level of embarrassment to it. Yeah. Whereas now it's, you've got to, you can't um, victim shame yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to shame the person who's actually been unkind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference now. It's, um, there is a, there is a positive notion about social media in that if someone sees someone being attacked, then there are people on social media that will, you know, go and bang that down the door and mm -hmm. say, that's not right. Mm -hmm. I want to take you back to when you were in the house and it is a competition and then you get down to the, the final five and you're in the band. Did it change? Did it get better then? Is that when you could start becoming friends with your bandmates? We were always friends. Yeah. What I will say in that moment is that once we'd made the band... Our diary was like nothing I ever possibly could have imagined it would be. Like we were literally sleeping in the car. We didn't have an hour. It was insane, the workload. And I think that the competition was so huge. I think TV audience back then was so much bigger than what it is now that you're talking like 18, 19 million viewers as opposed to the two, three, four, yeah. five we have now. Yeah. So it really felt like... The nation had, I mean, they had put us together, but it felt like we were in this very bright light in front of everybody. And I think the, the most beautiful thing about us at, at that time was that we knew that there was only really us that could understand what we were going through. So any friends you had yeah. at home, you couldn't, couldn't really talk about how difficult it was. But you couldn't, couldn't even understand. ask your parents for guidance because nobody no knew idea. what this was. This was a whole different beast to... There was just no relation. Mm -hmm. So it was just the five of us and it was the five of us that were being pulled from pillar to post. I think that the most beautiful thing of that time was that what connected us was that we we knew we only really had each other in that moment and there was only us that understand how we all felt. Mm -hmm. And that really brought us together. How much pressure and how much scrutiny was there on you, you know, being part of such a hugely successful girl band? We were very, like, we were a bit rough and ready. Like, we'd come from very, very normal backgrounds. Which is why people loved you, because anyone could be in the band. They, you, know, you didn't have to come from a really posh upbringing or yeah. had gone to the Brit school. You could, it was achievable. Exactly, it was achievable. And I think that, I think we just thought this, we just accepted that that's the way it was because mm -hmm. we didn't know any different. We had no media intelligence. We didn't know that it was wrong for people to say or print this about us. We just sort of resided to the fact that this is what it is. This is the way it is. This is what we signed up for. And I think we just got on with it in that way. It's not until later on, but again, society's progressed and it's not until later on now you can look back and go... No, like you shouldn't really have had to put up with that mm -hmm. or you shouldn't really have had to have been treated in that way. But we're all learning, I guess. What, looking back, what was your favourite moment with the four girls? What was your favourite, I don't know, situation that you found yourselves in or something that you did where you all kind of had it? <gasps> I think just our tours, really. Yeah. Our tours were our most um, special moments because we all love being on the road and we love putting our own show on. Putting your own two-hour show on is very different to just going and doing like a three-minute performance on a TV. 
you've got your dancers with you, you've got your band that you've picked. You have your fans in the audience. You have your fans, you're flying in from the ceiling, you know, you're being <laughs> shot out of the stage. <laughs> you're that's, in not, the... that's not a metaphor. You are being flying, <laughs> flown in. You from literally the are flying in from the <laughs> ceiling. Just so fun. And I think when you're able to put your own stage show on, there's just the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. It's it's a ride. It's a real ride being in a group. And no one, unless there's like a fly on the wall or I don't know, people do tell all books or you're there every day, like our team, mm-hmm. our hair and makeup team, our manager, our assistants, the creative director, unless you're in the bubble, you don't, you don't feel, you don't feel it. You just, you just would never, you just don't get it. What does sisterhood mean to you? Sisterhood means to me that when you are fully encouraging of other women around you and not just other women around you, but like women in general as a society, like to wish women to do well Mm -hmm. is true sisterhood. To accept that everybody is doing their own thing and there is no room or time for jealousy if we truly are going to massage this muscle that is sisterhood mm-hmm. because how can you how can you be feeling emotions that contradict what sisterhood is and then say pro sisterhood how how do you feel though to women who haven't always been nice to you or women in the past who've said things when someone is fully content with who they are and really works hard at their own self love you're not nasty about other people. Like a lot of my um, hardships via women were women who were journalists or I'd see something negative and I'd look at the name and I'd always be blown away that it was a female name. And I'd be like, I'm only 17 and you're an older lady who has all of this power to project this, project this messaging onto the nation about me who's like so young Mm -hmm. I don't understand it going back to you as the 17 year old girl and you didn't like in that house you didn't have a role model do you feel now Nicola now that that you need to be a role model I don't necessarily think I need to but I know that I can Mm. I know that I have the plethora of knowledge and emotional knowledge to be able to to give that to another girl Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm glad of that. And I feel like that's a very nice position to be in because we all need that. As we get older and as we experience, we only really learn as we get older or as we experience, we don't know until we've felt it or we've dealt it. Mm-hmm. And it takes for somebody older and wiser or somebody from, a, you know, somebody who can give you a different perspective to say, how about you look at it like this? Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, I hadn't thought of it like that. Okay, yeah, that makes me feel better. We're all learning from each other. And that's why I think podcasts like this and just discussion in general is so healthy Mm -hmm. because I wish I would have had something to turn to at that age. Or I'm sure now there's so many girls out there that will find this and it will give them just that added extra bit of emotional intelligence to say, actually, that's something that I can identify with. Okay, I'm going to exercise that. We all just have to keep talking. Mm -hmm. And keep expressing how we feel and talking about what we've learned. And that's the only way that Mm -hmm. positive notion can trickle down to people that need it.
the girls and girls allowed are the only people who knew what you experienced. Mm-hmm. And especially when you were younger and you, you were all probably, probably felt intense for you because you're your own person and you feel everything that's written about you. I always feel like everyone sees what's written about me, but everyone's so busy in their own bubble. Yeah. They're looking at what's written about them. But how important was it to have the girls around you that, you know, if, if you had gone on to a show like X Factor and you'd won as an individual as opposed to winning as a group, did you feel, was there comfort with the other girls in that? I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say there was like a, basing it on my, my personal experience and do. the maybe the negativity that I faced at that time. Yeah. I didn't feel a comfort from being in a band because of that, because we didn't talk about it. Really? So you knew people were saying things about you and you could, you didn't yeah. say it to the other girls. No. Why do you think you didn't? Was it embarrassment? Maybe embarrassment. And I think other people felt like they couldn't bring it up. Yeah. And I think I might have been somebody that put my walls right up. Mm. Well, that's what you um, have to do for protection. Um gave off a bravado that was fake in order to sort of seem like I was okay but then go home and cry you know it's like that that old uh, chestnut mm-hmm. so we didn't talk about it really and I felt like mm-hmm. I was somebody that I'm quite a deep thinker so I would sort of analyze it myself and come to the conclusion myself this is why she said this or this is why they've written that and I kind of got it it wasn't fair, but I understood it. And so therefore, like, what do you, what's, what's left to say? Mm. Like, if you can't stop the person from writing something and yet you understand it, what's left, what's left to say? Like my, my manager at the time, like a few years later, we had a female manager and I remember her saying like, maybe I should see a therapist. And I was like, I don't need to see a therapist. What's she going to tell me? I've figured it all out myself. I know all about this myself. Mm. Have you had a chance to to reflect with any of the girls or at any stage reflect with any of the girls in the band about that time Kimberly brings it up sometimes actually Mm -hmm. she's always the one that's like no it was really bad it wasn't fair yeah and I'm like "Mm, yeah 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 but it's so it's like 20 years old you know yeah but still there and there's still as we said like what has changed since then people are still being written about girls are still being turned down there are bands at the moment in the public eye who seem to be experiencing similar things and it's I guess when you were going through stuff you probably felt like it was very much targeted at you but it's universal mm-hmm. it happens to so many women if you're plugging into being something that you're not or changing yourself or enhancing yourself in a dangerous way Mm -hmm. it's because somebody else whose opinion you value has told you their perception of beauty and you're trying to be it it's like me with the tanning thing it It was addiction the tanning yeah it was addiction for sure Mm -hmm. somebody had told me I was too pale Mm -hmm. I watched myself back on tv and stood next to four girls who are not as pale skinned as me Mm -hmm. I knew I I knew I stuck out and I was already being penalised for looking so different anyway. Mm-hmm. Were you told to tan or was that something that you did yourself? Um, one of the producers got me a fake tan mm-hmm. on the Pop Stars The Rival show. And then I saw myself back and mm. was like, oh, it's better. Mm-hmm. And I think he might have said, like, it's bit, it's better, isn't it? Like, your hair looks better. You mm-hmm. cut your hair off. You look a bit more tanned on TV. You don't look so white. Mm-hmm. And so to someone who's very impressionable a TV exec saying that to you and I guess you just get swallowed up in that. Were you jealous of the other girls? Of their tan, absolutely. 
I'd sit with the makeup artist and say, no, put the same foundation color as um, Cheryl and Kimberly. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, Nicola, you're, you're a number one and they're a number five. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, just put it on. I'm not, I'm not brown enough. I'm not tanned enough. You know, they didn't have to like get in the shower, scrub themselves at 1 a.m., put tan on, wake mm-hmm. up at five, pray to God that it developed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's just more upkeep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as I got rid of all of that, one of the most pivotal things I've ever learned is to let go. Mm. Like we we try so hard to hold on. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you let go, everything just falls into place. Um, when you started in Girls Aloud, and I remember watching your, your performance. And it's funny because probably from the outside, thought this is the coolest opportunity in the world. These girls are so cool. Sound of the Underground was a cool girl song it was a it was a cool song for for girl bands I guess Spice Girls were a cool girl group but but that that song it was just cool and I remember just thinking oh my god what a great opportunity not knowing what actually was happening behind the scenes but for you did you enjoy the singing and the music process of it because obviously you went in because you were really good at singing the whole visual side of things and looking a certain way was probably not the first thing you were thinking about when you entered that competition um when it came to the music side of things did you enjoy it did you enjoy that side of it was there a song that you know or a time that that stands out I think the process of making our music was not how I imagined it to be we had a producer called Brian Higgins Mm -hmm from Xenomania, who was ultimately in control of the songwriting process, who sang what, and then delivered the records to the record company. We had a brilliant A&R at the time called Colin Barlow, who was fearless in his choices. So that combination and that team was what enabled us to have such ruleless music. But again, in terms of like who sang what, that was just all chosen. It was all chosen. It wasn't like, you know, five people sit in a room around a guitar and see who sings what lines best. Mm-hmm. So when you look back at performances, it's not an enjoyable time that you look back on? Not really. And I think that I was quite unfortunate in the in the sense that my real early days of Girls Aloud, I had a lot of, there was a lot of mental health issues in my pet, in my family back at home. So although my body was in this band, my mind was very much concerned with what was happening at home. So I never really felt the freedom or I was never truly present to be able to really go for gold within the group because I always felt like my feet were firmly on the ground Mm -hmm. back home. Mm -hmm. But that's just my journey. You know, you've gone through something really tough that's probably brought the rest of the girls closer together. Mm -hmm. How are you? Um gonna cry <laughs> um but just how how are you doing and I guess that probably makes you look back on that time because it makes you look back on when you met Sarah and makes you look back and also someone who I remember meeting Sarah through MTV who looked like she was having the time of her life and and you yeah. don't know what people are going through mm-hmm. sorry one second um I don't I feel a bit emotionally raw today because it was Sarah's birthday yesterday mm-hmm Um, yeah, it's just an unbelievable time. Mm -hmm. And I guess you girls, this is called sisterhood. Exactly. And I knew today it was going to be hard. Yeah. Um, because I guess they are sisters. mm -hmm. 
in a way, you're probably closer than a lot of sisters are, or you experience things. It was like a family, be it a good family or a bad family, ups and downs. Even as sisters through birth, you don't truly experience. I don't think, I mean, listen, like we went to the moon together. Mm -hmm. So... And they, somebody becomes such an extension of who you are to then, like, not have that person there. It's just like you've lost a bit of yourself. Yeah. It's really shit. Are you talking to the other girls a lot? Do you, do you, do you, you know, I, I guess you look back on that time together, you look back on what everyone kind of went through in that time and and the good memories yeah absolutely 100% um I mean my god there's so much to say there's so much to say and unpack yeah how important is it to to when you go through something like this and people listening to this podcast will have lost people close to them um to have the right people around you be it the sisterhood, be it your friends, be it talking about how you feel. I guess there's a time we need to be by yourself as well, but to actually have the support around you when you go through something like loss. I mean, everyone deals with loss differently. Some people, like I'm very much somebody that like needs to process something by myself. Mm -hmm. So I will just sort of go quiet and process it as best I can alone. Mm -hmm. And some people might say that's really unhealthy. Um, and some people need to just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk it out. I'm not one of them people because it's hard as well because, like I said earlier, like only the other four know. So you're talking to people who weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. And they might ask a question that you, really infuriates you at the time because mm-hmm. you just think, well, how do you not understand? How can you not understand that? Or how mm-hmm. could, like what perspective does that even come from? So I find it's best, unless I'm talking to the other four girls, unless, sorry, I'm talking to the other three girls, I just feel like I don't really need to talk about it to anyone else because they don't get it. That's fair. If you were to go back, would you have entered to being Girls Aloud? Would you have entered the competition? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How does Nicola feel now as... A singer, as a songwriter, as a strong woman making decisions for herself. Um, where is your place? I guess I'm just someone that rolls. Like I just roll. Like I love. You say work. roll, but you've had to work really hard. Like you've worked oh, don't really get hard. Me wrong, it's uphill. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't have to be uphill, but it's uphill. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, if a new artist comes along and I believe in them and I want to help them, then I write with them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like writing with other people? I do like writing with other people, providing that it's like not in the constraints of uber commerciality. Mm-hmm. Because I just feel like that is really shackling and um, debilitating. You're not really able to be creative when there's such a commercial beast being like, it doesn't sound like this. It's not again, it's not the brief. That's really um, debilitating for me. I, yeah, I just roll. 
I'm casting for films, I'm working on my own music and I think I've learned that I've have this youthful energy because I dream and because I aspire Mm -hmm. which is a really nice thing to have I think Mm. it's also really awkward to sort of sit and like describe how you see yourself I don't I don't know you're too busy living it to describe it. Well, um, as we are talking about music, what song are you the proudest of that you've written? Could be for yourself, could be for someone else. What are you most proud of? I think musically? my most um I think my most honest song was Sticks and Stones that I wrote for myself. I'm proud of the music that I write for other people and the contributions lyrically that I might have made to the group. Mm-hmm. But I'm somebody that doesn't unless I bear my soul in a song, I feel like it's not good enough. Or it doesn't hit me in the same way. It doesn't really mean anything. I can go and spend a day with someone and we can write a song. But I feel like unless it's truly a reflection of like how I absolutely feel in that moment, I never regard it as being good enough. And my expectations are really high, which is sometimes quite a hindrance. Mm -hmm. Because... You're never going to reach them. (laughs) You're never going to be happy, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I won't put something out unless I truly feel like it's brilliant or I don't really get excited about something unless it's brilliant. I just did a big TV the other day that I was singing on and I know that I could have done it a little bit better. <laughs> and so everyone's like, are you really happy? It was really good. Are you, re- are you happy with it? And I'm like, mm, no, it wasn't good enough, actually. And I'm not going to be happy with it like because it didn't reach my expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's something I need to work on more about actually just enjoying the moment and things not being so perfect. But it scares me to... Do something. I'm going to give you advice. And let then, go. And then let afterwards go. be like, I should have done this and I should have done that. Your own advice, Nicola, was to let go. Yeah. What women in music inspire you? Besides, we had Alanis growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Whitney was always my... The voice. The voice, yeah. It could cut through glass. Mm-hmm. And that to me was just like God-given. You it say could, couldn't there. possibly have been real. Like the voice was so good. It was like, how is this possibly real? Okay, because I was going to ask you a question. Hail the Queen. Who is your, your queen in music? Would oh, that Whitney. Be Whitney. Absolutely, Whitney. And then, you know, we have our females. Like we have Lizzo, mm. who is so unapologetic. Mm-hmm. Lizzo's found her, her tribe. Yeah, yeah. And she's found a community of people that are willing her on and who identify with her. Mm-hmm. And a side of society that is like, yes, celebrating difference and celebrating freedom Mm -hmm. in just who somebody is. Mm -hmm. And she's very much wrapped that tribe tribe up and Mm -hmm. she can enjoy that Mm -hmm. because she's found them. Mm -hmm. Favourite Girls Aloud track, Nicola? Favourite Girls Aloud track is Untouchable because that is... um... Oh my God, I'm going to (laughs) cry. That is how we felt. I'm just an emotional wreck today. I think that's how we felt as a five. Mm-hmm. Untouchable. And in my dreams it feels like we are fully stories told. When you're around, ooh, we're untouchable. And in my dreams it feels like Oh
How important is it for women to support women? It's imperative for women to support the women because positivity is like the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. What you put out, you get back. That's what I truly believe. I think that's a perfect way to end. Nicola, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. That's it for our Sisterhood episode. Thank you so much for joining me on Hear Her Voice. Remember, you can hear all the songs featured in this episode at the Hear Her Voice Sisterhood playlist on Spotify. And if you like what you've heard and want to hear more, please do like and subscribe to the Hear Her Voice podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode. Next time on Hear Her Voice, I'll be talking about up-and-coming female artists with my very special guests, Rio Frederica and Olivia Dean. Until next time. <laughs>